Hey everyone, it's Joel here. This is a review lecture of our discussion on the concept of racism. So this was our first week in our three-week unit on racial justice. So the question we're asking, what is racism? And in particular, I wanted us to really think about a related question. When is a policy racist? There's a lot of talk these days about institutional racism, systemic racism, structural racism. And in one way or another, all of those things have something to do with policies that are racist or policies that are racially harmful or inequitable. And so I, I think to really kind of figure out what people mean by systemic racism, institutional racism, structural racism, you kind of have to, you have to ask yourself, well, when does a policy count as racist? Because structures, systems, and institutions are in part, but to a large degree, not totally, but to a large degree, governed by policies. Um, you might also talk about norms. I think that policies are more political in nature. They have to do with government. Um, they have to do with institutional practices. And norms maybe don't have the same, like, sort of legal authority as a lot of policies do. Um, norms are, like, I think a broader category. Because you can talk about political norms. You can talk about legal norms. And those are the norms that are incorporated into political systems. They're the norms that have like authority behind them, like legal authority. Um, you can be punished for failing to live up to these policies or states can lose funding if they don't live up to certain kinds of federal policies. Um, so those are like political norms and legal norms, but there are also other norms like social norms. So norms about like what it means to be a man or a woman. Those are gender norms or norms about how to ride an elevator and so on. And so we're really going to be thinking about the norms that are used in institutions, in government institutions, educational institutions, criminal justice system, um, norms that kind of function within government understood broadly. And I'm just going to call those policies rather than political norms. I'll just refer to them as policies. So we're really interested in this question, when does a policy count as racist? And a lot of people have, have written about this and talked about this, and a lot of people are using this language, you know, describing certain policies as racist, describing certain institutions as racist. And so I think it's important for us as philosophers to kind of figure out what's going on here. So I'm going to describe three different views, three different views about what sorts of things can count as racist. And this is gonna lead us into a richer conversation about policies that are racist. But for now, let's just talk about this, this word racism or racist. So here's the question, what sorts of things can count as racist? And here's a little bit of a footnote about this question. This is not a question about the sociology of racism. This is a question about the concept of racism. So the sociology of racism is, you know, and it, it investigates the question, how does racism arise? What sorts of psychological factors lead people to have racist attitudes? What sorts of historical factors have led, say, um, white Americans to have racist attitudes? You might also ask, how do racist attitudes change and, and develop and evolve over time? What sorts of things lead people to be racist? That's an interesting empirical or sociological question, but that's not really the question that we're focusing on here. We're asking a question about the concept of racism. What sorts of things count as racist? So think about the difference between these two questions just to help illustrate what I'm getting at here. What 
is love? And how does love arise? What is love? And how does love arise? The first question is a question about the concept of love. It's like kind of asking like, what's the essence of love? Whereas the second question is asking about like the etiology or the sociology of love, the psychology of love. How do, how do people fall in love? And these are different questions. And so similarly, I'm not really asking the question for now, how does racism arise in the sociological sense? I'm not even asking the question, where in, where in the world is there racism? There's racism present in a lot of places. It's, it's very popular. It's, it's prevalent in the world and in the, the U.S. But that's like the sort of, again, the sociological question. We're asking about the concept itself. What does it mean for something to be racist? And how could something, under what conditions could something count as a conceptual matter, could it count as racist? So there are three views that we talked about in class. One view is called strict agentialism. It says that only agents can be racist. So the proper use of the term racism is as a referent or a designation for individuals. It's um, perhaps a, a very traditional way of thinking about racism. So on this view, on strict agentialism, it doesn't make sense. It's an, it's a, an inapt use of the word to describe institutions as racist, to describe a system as racist, to describe even a policy as racist, because for the strict agentialist, it's only individual agents. And perhaps they would allow like the, the beliefs or the attitudes of the agent to also be racist, but not policies, institutions, practices, systems. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you have strict structuralism, which says that only social systems and social structures can be racist. So just think of a social system as an interrelated network of policies, practices, attitudes, and ideologies that govern institutions, that govern people, that govern relationships. So the strict structuralist says that the proper use of the term racist is only for structures. Um, strict structuralists are going to want us to use some other word for individuals. Individuals might be prejudicial, but we should reserve the word racism for structures, for policies, for institutions, and so on. So we can talk about the criminal justice system being racist, the strict structuralist will say, but we shouldn't talk about the police officer being racist. The police officer might be biased or prejudicial or hateful or something like that, but it's only the system that is racist. Same for education. We might, the strict structuralist might say the education system has racism, but I want to use a different word to talk about, say, educators or policymakers who create legislation for education. Um, but finally, there's a view that's kind of carves a middle road between these two views. And I'm going to call it just like the high, just like simply put the hybrid view. And it says that both agents and systems can be racist. It, we can, we can, we can refer to an individual as racist and we can refer to a system as racist. We can refer to the person as having racist attitudes and we can refer to the policy as being racist. So, Persons and policies can be racist. Individuals and institutions can be racist. And interestingly enough, there are different ways of having the hybrid view. And we're going to talk about someone who has a hybrid view. And we did talk about someone who has a hybrid view, Ibram X. Kendi. But for now, I just want to give you a quick overview of this strict structuralist view. Um, 
this has become somewhat popular in racial justice discourse. And an example of it comes from a popular author and um, a social justice advocate, uh, Robin D'Angelo. So Robin D'Angelo wrote this really now famous book called White, F White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. And in White Fragility, she says the following, racism is a system. Racism refers, differs from individual racial prejudice and racial discrimination and the historical accumulation and ongoing use of institutional power and authority to support the prejudice and to systematically enforce discriminatory behaviors. So notice that D'Angelo wants to distinguish racism from individual racial prejudice and racial discrimination. What makes racism different than mere prejudice? Well, racism is this like historical accumulation, as she puts it, or this confluence, this emergence of power, institutional power, that allows prejudice to be implemented. It's, inst it's institutional power and social power that gives force to individual racial prejudice. And it's this systemic power, this social power that's underwritten by prejudice that is, on her view, racism. But the individual is not racist. The that's, racism is a, a term that designates systems. It's not a term that designates individuals. She would prefer that we talk about individuals being prejudicial or discriminatory or biased or something like that. And so this this view is, has a, like a really catchy way of of being referred to. It's called the P plus P equals R view. The P plus P equals R view. And what do each of the P's refer to? They refer to power and prejudice. So power plus prejudice equals racism. Power and prejudice equals racism. And so what this is saying basically is that Mere racial prejudice is not sufficient for the presence of racism. That's just one of the P's. And remember, the formula tells us you need both of these P's in order for there to be racism. So it's not enough that there's racial prejudice. There needs to, on top of that, the racial prejudice needs to be backed by, supported by, it needs to influence power, social power. And then you have racism. And so what is power here? I mean, roughly power is like, political authority, political representation, um, economic affluence. Uh, money does a lot. Money gets you places. Money gets you political representation, political authority, campaigning, and so on. Um, even power by means of educational institutions, educational institutions that support a particular way of thinking that tend to center certain types of groups or certain racial groups or certain genders. So when these institutions, um, these political institutions, educational institutions, these perhaps even the family institution, when all these social institutions kind of come together and tend to reinforce certain prejudices or tend to permit certain prejudices or give, um, I guess, permission to certain prejudices, then you have a society that is, that is racist. All right, so we're not actually going to spend a lot of time talking about this view. Um, it's just kind of one to be aware of. It's, it's gaining a lot of popularity. And sometimes people will say, like, one of the advantages of thinking of racism this way is that we can answer, we have a nice, tidy answer to this question, can racial minorities be prejudiced? Oh, sorry, can racial minorities 
be racist to other racial groups? Like, can African-Americans be racist towards whites in America? And the, this, this version of the strict structuralist view is going to say, no, that's not possible because why? Well, again, go back to the formula, P plus P. Racial minorities, in particular African-Americans here, don't have the kind of social power that would allow them to put their prejudice in place, that, wouldn't, that would allow them to enforce their discriminatory behaviors, their prejudice. Um, it's whites, rather, who seem to have most of the social power at every level of social significance. Um, and so African-Americans might be prejudicial against whites, but we can't call that prejudice racism according to this view. And so they think that this is a, a sort of a virtue of their view, um, and there are other virtues of the view. There might also be some problems of actually doing some research on this, um, working on a, on a paper with a friend, sort of exploring potential virtues and vices of this view. But let's move on. So we just talked about a strict structuralist view, which says that only systems are racist, not individuals, that the proper use of the term racist should only be reserved for structures. But one famous author, historian, and anti-racist educator, Ibram X. Kendi, would disagree with that. So as we talked about in class, Ibram X. Kendi's view is a hybrid view. It says that racism is a term that applies to individuals, and racism is also a term that applies to policies and institutions and systems. So um, all of this is coming from Ibram X. Kendi's really influential book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. So what is Kendi's view? Start with racist individuals. He defines a racist as one who is supporting a racist policy through their actions or inaction or expressing a racist idea. So this is what is called a disjunctive definition. Notice the little or. One who is supporting a racist policy through their actions or expressing a racist idea. So there are like two ways, each of which are sufficient to be a racist on Kendi's view. You either support a racist policy or you express a racist idea. So maybe you don't have any racist ideas, but you do support racist policies. That's enough to make you a racist, according to Kendi. Alternatively, maybe you don't support any racist policies. You only support anti-racist policies, but you express a racist idea. You have this racist ideology or something like that. You're also a racist, according to Kendi. An anti-racist is one who is supporting an anti-racist policy through their actions or expressing an anti-racist idea. So, just a reminder, Kendi thinks that there is no middle ground here. You're either a racist or an anti-racist. There's... The, these are the two camps because, and it makes sense why that would be the case. Like you're either supporting racist policies or you're not. You're either supporting racist policies or you're supporting anti-racist policies. And he thinks like you're, you're in action, like just saying, well, I don't support anything. I'm, I don't even vote. He's going to say that um, that's actually permitting. Like you're, you're, you're in some ways uh, res like resigning your political participation and that's in some way express supporting racist policy through your inaction. I think that's what he's going to say. I I'm not totally sure. And I think it'd be fun for us to think about this as a class, but in any case, that's his view of racist individuals. So the obvious question is like, okay, then what is a racist policy? You know, if being a racist, if, if supporting racist policy is enough to make you a racist, then 
maybe you really don't want to support racist policies. And so that leads us into Kennedy's, I think one of the more interesting parts of Kennedy's view, his take on racist policies. So from the reading I assigned, he says a racist policy is any measure that produces or sustains racial inequity between racial groups. An anti-racist policy is any measure that produces or sustains racial equity between racial groups. By policy, I mean written and unwritten laws, rules, procedures, processes, regulations, and guidelines that govern people. So it's really helpful, really um, helpful definition here. There is no such thing as a non-racist or race-neutral policy. Every policy in every institution and in every community in every nation is producing or sustaining racial inequity or racial equity between racial groups. And if you recall from the reading, Kendi gives us an example of what he means by inequity. So I'm going to go to his uh, a, por a, a portion of chapter one from his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And he gives an example about housing inequality. So for example, he says, here's an example of racial inequity. 71% of white families lived in owner-occupied homes in 2014, compared to 45% of Latinx families and 41% of black families. That's racial inequity. Racial equity is when two or more racial groups are standing on a relatively equal footing. Okay. I think there are questions lingering here. I mean, the example we just got, it's not clear that that's equity and inequity as it's often used. Um, it seems like it's more like an inequality. And so sometimes people make a distinction between equity, inequity and equality by appealing to an illustration. We showed it in class that imagine you have three different people, each of them have different heights and they want to look over a fence or how about this? They want to pick apples from a tree. And there's an inequality here. They each have different heights. But the inequity isn't just that they have different heights, it's that they have different access to the tree. They are gonna face different barriers, and different hurdles to the tree given their height. So an equitable outcome is not necessarily giving everyone the same apples. Rather, an equitable outcome is giving everyone the same access to the tree, same opportunity to get a comparable number of apples. So an equitable distribution of, say, ladders would be giving the biggest ladder to the shortest person and this, you know, um, the second biggest ladder to the second shortest person. Um, and then maybe the tallest person doesn't get a ladder. Or maybe they get only a footstool. So we don't give them the same resources to get apples from the tree. Why? Because they have different starting points. They have different antecedent chances of getting things. They, are, they have different capabilities and different abilities um, for picking apples. And so an equitable distribution of ladders is going to give them different unequally sized ladders, but ladders that kind of put them on the same playing field to get apples. And so I hope the illustration is pretty clear. Um, equality is about sameness, whereas equity is a about similar opportunity and similar resources to get important social goods as other people. 
I hope that makes sense. And we can definitely talk about that more. Um, I don't want to belabor that point too much because I think, yeah, I think, I think the concept's somewhat clear. Um, I think, I think it's somewhat clear, but in any case, in the interest of time, I'm just going to move on. So a racist policy is any measure that produces or sustains racial inequity between racial groups. So now bring everything together. A racist individual is one who supports a racist policy or expresses a racist idea. So what it follows, I hope you can see the logical connection here. It follows from Kenny's view that if you support, either through voting or through an endorsement, if you support a policy that leads to or sustains racial inequity, then on Kenny's view, you are a racist. Like we should, we should use the designation racist for you. Um, and notice that that implies that like, even if you didn't want to support a policy that had inequitable outcomes, if, if you happen to, you're a racist. So, and this is really important for understanding this question, for thinking about this question that we set out to understand, like, wh what is a racist policy? Well, a racist policy on Kenny's view is simply a, a policy that leads to inequitable outcomes, that creates unfair, different opportunities between racial groups to, to get important social goods. So, I mean, as a matter of fact, um, white Americans tend to face very different challenges in getting homes as compared to African-Americans. And, and to just simplify things, I think the research shows that African-Americans tend to face far greater struggles in getting and acquiring homes. Even African-Americans who have similar degree, you know, similar uh, qualifications, um, African-Americans who have similar levels of education, the research shows that they're going to face more challenges in acquiring a home. And a home is a very important asset to have in the United States. So there's an, an, an inequity. And so all sorts of policies and practices and laws and real estate practices and historical things have led to this inequity. And the idea here is like, if you support any policy that like sustains that or that makes it worse, um, you're, you're a racist, okay? And moreover, societies that are constituted by that have a bunch of these policies and a bunch of these practices that lead to these inequities. These are racist societies. So that leads us finally to Kennedy's view of racism. Racism is a powerful collection of racist policies that lead to racial inequity and are substantiated by racist ideas. And anti-racism is the opposite. It's a powerful collection of anti-racist policies that lead to racial equity and are substantiated by anti-racist ideas. So in some ways, Kendi's view is similar to the P plus P equals R view because he's, he wants to say like racism is this thing that applies to societies where there is racial inequity and policies that produce racial inequity and that there are these like racist ideas that substantiate those things that say, yeah, that's okay. Or that maybe like turn a blind eye to those things. Um, and so you might call the racist ideas a form of prejudice. I don't know if Kendi thinks that, but you can see some of the similarities. But nevertheless, Kendi is very comfortable calling individuals racist. And what's really interesting about his view is how, maybe I shouldn't put it this way, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it, how easy it is to be a racist on Kendi's view. You just have to support a policy 
that leads to a racial inequity or have a racist idea. Okay, so I'm just going to kind of blitz through four possible um, conceptual problems with this definition of racism, and then I'll wrap up this review. And I just want to say too, like, I think this view has a lot going for it. Um, and if you want to f like learn more about that and see, see why Kendi is like really sympathetic to this view, just go ahead and read his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. It's a really, really popular book. It's quite thick too. So, you know, take your time, but I highly recommend working through it. So the first possible conceptual problem we discussed in class is a problem I'm going to call accidental racism. Suppose A, who is a person, believes that policy X is an anti-racist policy. And because of that, they support it. They desire racial equity. They, they want to be an anti-racist. They want society to be equitable. Unfortunately, policy X ends up producing racial inequity. It's not what they anticipated. It's not what they wanted. But as it turns out, they support a policy that produces racial inequity. And this is pretty common, right? Like it's sometimes hard to predict how our policies are going to impact different racial groups or ethnic groups or gender groups. And sometimes they end up doing harm or producing uh, harmful inequities. So here's the question, is A a racist? Well, it seems to follow that on Kennedy's view, yes, A is a racist. And you might just think that that's a little bit conceptually puzzling. Do we really wanna say that someone who had the best intentions, who maybe even had anti-racist intentions, but nevertheless accidentally supported a policy that unbeknownst to them was going to lead to racial inequity. Do we really want to say that they're a racist? I think some people are going to find that a little bit puzzling. Like, I think it's going to strike some people as the wrong use of the term. This isn't how we want to use racism. People who are doing their best and voting in a way that aims for racial equity, inequity, but accidentally get it wrong, I don't know if we want to call them racist, or so the argument goes. Now, one way to push back on everything I've just said is to say, well, actually, this view assumes that intention is central to racism. It makes it so that racism hinges on whether you had harmful intentions or malevolent intentions. Um, and it seems like Kenny's just going to say, yeah, I'm just trying to get rid of that. Like, I'm trying to get rid of this focus on intentions. Like if you support something that has a harmful impact or an inequitable impact, that, that's the problem. Fair enough. The other thing you can say is that there are plenty of whites who have, with good intentions, done some seemingly very racist things. So it's actually, I think this, the second response to this objection is to say, it's actually not that weird for there to be racism with good intentions. So here's an example some people talk about. Think about like the white savior complex. So at one point in recent history and like colonial history, um, actually not that, I wouldn't even say colonial, it's even more recent than that. Some <clears throat> elite whites thought it was their responsibility to educate and civilize, quote unquote, civilize um, African-Americans or civilize Africans, civilize Native Americans. And you might think, well, they had really good intentions. They, they were trying to be uh, be, um, benevolent and wanted to enrich 
these different ethnic and racial groups. But you might think that nevertheless, like their intention to do good was still underwritten by something racist. Like they still, there's still something racist going on, right? Like the, the attempt to civilize another group implies that these groups are like not civilized. They're barbaric, which you might think like that, that assumption is, is racist. And so, um, so the response is just that sometimes good intentions to do good to a racial group uh, doesn't seem to sanitize those intentions or make them anti-racist. There have been plenty of really good intentions that seem actually really morally problematic, that seem ethnocentric, that seem to be an instance of a superiority complex. We're going to make you like us. You, who you are and how you are is not good enough. It's inferior. And so we got to help you out. Um, that seemingly benevolent intention can actually be really harmful and can, I think to a lot of people, seem like a form of racism. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay, next objection. You might wonder whether Kennedy's view results in conflicting verdicts. So suppose A, who is a person, believes that policy X and policy Y are both anti-racist policies. They're going to produce more racial equity. And for that reason, A supports both of them. She wants to be an anti-racist. The way things turn out, policy X ends up producing racial inequity, while policy Y produces racial equity. So one policy does what A hopes for, the other policy does the opposite. They maybe like produce, you know, one produces an equity, uh, produces equity in home ownership, the other produces inequity in education, for example. So is A a racist? It's, you might wonder whether Kenny's view doesn't really tell us what to think here. I mean, if we just look at her support for policy X, which turned out to produce inequity, we'd have to say she's a racist. But if you just look at her support for policy Y, which produces equity, you might have to say she's an anti-racist. seems like she can't be both at the same time. Either she's a racist or an anti-racist, right? So, So Kenny's view might seem to issue conflicting verdicts. How does it adjudicate in these sorts of cases? And I think some of you in class, you know, we, we, we try to, and this is a good thing to practice when you're doing philosophy, is try to come to the rescue of a view, even if you disagree with it. This is sometimes called philosophical Good Samaritanism, right? Like the Good Samaritan story is like um, the story of the Samaritan who helps the Jew and the Samaritans and Jews are like national enemies, but the Samaritan comes to the aid of the Jew who's been beaten and robbed and takes, you know, takes the Jew to the hospital. And so even if you disagree with Kennedy's view, can you find a way to resolve this particular problem? <clears throat> and I'll just share a view that I think someone raised in class. They said something like, well, maybe you need to look at the net effect. Um, when we look at the situation, the whole situation of race from the bird's eye view, um, did, 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 was there more equity on balance or more inequity on, on balance as a result of the policies you supported? And so if at the end of the day, um, the equity produced by Y is greater than the inequity produced by X, then you're not a racist, you're an anti-racist. But if it's the opposite, then you're a racist. That might be right. And I'll let you think about whether excuse me, whether that uh, that response works. Um, it's not clear to me it does. Um, how do you, how do you like measure 
on balance equity, especially when we're talking about very different kinds of equity and inequity, right? Like think about inequity in homeownership, but then equity in education, like on balance, what's the equity? I, I don't really know how to make sense of that. In any case, it's a really interesting issue. Finally, <clears throat> um, another racist, or sorry, another possible conceptual problem is what I call um, racist reparations. So suppose policy X offers compensation to African-Americans for historic injustice like Jim Crow. As a result, numerous African-Americans are able to buy homes. So just imagine they're given like subsidies for homeownership because as we learned in class, one of the things that um, racism of the 20th century did to African-Americans was seriously devastate their ability to buy homes, which has serious impacts on wealth and um, really so many things. And so we do, we, 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 we undergo this program of reparations and we make homeownership affordable, available for African-Americans. And as a result, uh, numerous African-Americans are able to invest into new homes. So now there's a new distribution of homes. Because of reparations, imagine that 80% of homeowners are now black, 71% are white, and as the stat currently is, or close to what it currently is, is 45 are Latinx. So this is far from being on roughly the same footing. This is, this is an inequality. <laughs> so here's what I'm wondering. Is policy X, this form of reparations, this compensation program, is it racist? I mean, it produced an inequality. And so it would seem that Kennedy's definition says it is racist. But that seems really counterintuitive, right? Like, you might think that, no, it can't be racist because it's reparations. It's restoring African Americans back into a position of being able to buy homes. So... There's a bit of a conceptual puzzle here. And I think um, something that some of you said in class was like, well, maybe if it makes the inequality less or the, inequ the inequity less than it was before, it's not, it doesn't, it's not a racist policy. And so, you know, we went from black homeownership being like, you know, around 45%, 35% to now being 80. And so it's like, it's gotten better. And so, yes, there still is an inequity, but it's an improvement over the one that was previously in place. And so maybe that's not enough to make it um, a, a racist inequity or the policy that got it there racist. And I think that's a really clever way of trying to rescue Kenny's view. But just notice that it, 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 you do have to amend his view. You have to add that condition that it, it's a racist policy if it sustains inequity, but only on the, with the exception that it um, hasn't improved the inequity and made it, you know, better. But the other thing to say is, like, it's not clear that I, like, the example I gave, I don't, I don't really see that this is, like, I don't, I don't know what it means to say that it's an improved inequity or it's gotten better from what it was before. I mean, it's in some ways made it worse. Like, there's, like, a, a massive gap between black homeowners and Latinx homeowners. Um... So on one way of measuring this, it, it's not clear that the, the inequity has gone better. It's gone better for black homeowners. 
And I don't know. I mean, I think we want to say, well, that's not racism because these are people who are now being re-enfranchised after centuries of disenfranchisement from homeownership. So, but it's just not clear what Kenny's going to say about that. So maybe on the uh, midterm exam, I'll ask you to maybe try to rescue his view a little bit um, from problems like this. And here's a final problem before I wrap up. This is a problem that um, one of you actually mentioned to me after class, and I'm glad you did because I didn't get to really discuss it in class, but it's in the literature on the concept of racism. This is like a really important argument. So one more problem that you might think assails Kenny's view is what I call the loss of moral charge. If Kenny's view is right, here's the question. Does the term racism lose some of its social and moral function? Does it lose some of its moral function? Focus on that. The idea here is that the use of the term racist or racism is supposed to have a condemnatory purpose. A condemnatory purpose. In other words, it's supposed to condemn. It's supposed to issue a, a severe moral verdict. Moreover, like we should be concerned morally concerned if it is used against us like to be to be charged with racism is like a pretty serious moral indictment it's a serious moral condemnation and here's the question does kennedy's view accommodate this alleged function of the term so the term racism or racist when it's used against someone or something it has a certain powerful moral function it's meant to say wow that thing like is deserving of a certain kind of criticism a certain kind of condemnation a certain kind of rebuke and and so you might argue like this is a this is like a fact about the concept of racism it has to have moral charge but if a theory about what racism is doesn't give us that result that's a mark against that theory and so you might wonder if kendy's view does this because as one of you put after class like if i just accidentally support a racist policy despite my best intentions and you say, oh, therefore, you're a racist, like, it feels like that's not really morally concerning. Like, I actually was doing my best, and I was trying to be anti-racist. And I'll change how I'm voting, sure. But it feels like calling me a racist doesn't really have moral charge. Like, I, I shouldn't really care at that point that I'm called a racist. So, but that feels wrong. Like, I sh- we should always care if we're racist. And so, if Kendi's view can't preserve this function of the the concept of racism, then that that might be a mark against his view. So this is perhaps like one of the harder ones to grasp, um, but I hope it was clear. If you have questions, feel feel free to email me or reach out. In the next review lecture, I will rehearse JLA Garcia's view of racism. He's going to give us a hybrid view, but it's going to be very different than Kendi's. Okay, thanks so much, and I've really enjoyed discussing this all with you.